Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Front Row, and I'm your host, James Whiteside, principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theater and the author of Center Center. Take a seat in the front row as I discuss the creative process and the business of creativity with the world's brightest stars. This is a special episode of Front Row focusing on Day Tripper, a modern, silent film that I wrote, directed, produced, and choreographed. The 30-minute film premieres April 23rd at 10.55 p.m. Eastern on the All Arts Broadcast Channel, site, and app. And follow my socials at James B. Whiteside for exclusive behind-the-scenes content on the making of this film. Here's the official preview. American Ballet Theater principal dancer and choreographer James Whiteside created this lyrical modern silent film that tells the story of two men serendipitously meeting and falling in love on a beautiful summer day in Fire Island Pines. Created by Whiteside and Korean-American filmmaker Kylie Juggert, Day Tripper features performances by Lloyd Knight, principal dancer with Martha Graham Dance Company, and Jake Tribus, artistic associate with Gibney Company. Okay, here's the sitch. This special episode of Front Row is split into two parts. In part one, I interview my co-director slash co-producer, Kylie Juggert, as well as Megan Eleanor Clark, the director of photography for the Fire Island portion of the film. In part two, you will hear an episode of Conversations on Dance, a podcast hosted by my friends Michael Sean Breeden and Rebecca King Ferraro, during which they grill me about the creation of Day Tripper, plus other fascinating tidbits. Make sure to subscribe to their podcast. They are fantastic. I hope you enjoy this certified fresh episode of Front Row. And don't forget to watch Day Tripper this Sunday night at 10.55 p.m. Eastern on TV, web, or the All Arts TV app. And tell your friends and fam to watch too. I hope you enjoy. Kylie and Megan, welcome to Front Row. Woo and so the woos ensue. Um, I, I I bring you here today to discuss Day Tripper, a film we made together, which is hopefully premiering the same week that this episode premieres. And uh, Day Tripper is slated to premiere on All Arts TV on April twenty third at ten fifty five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Am I right, Kylie? Yes. <laughs> Wait, Kylie, why does it have to be at 10.55 p.m.? <laughs> I feel like you should take this one. Um, okay, I could, I, I could yeah. do that. Um, okay, <laughs> so the reason it has to air at 10.55 p.m. on television is because it needs to fall under the safe harbor time slot, which means it is too sexy for daytime television or even prime time for that matter. So <laughs> there are certain movements and themes within the film that are deemed uh, too slutty for TV. And <laughs> that lets me know that we did really good work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we coined it as like a uh, wholesome, sexy. It's definitely sexy, but it's wholesome. So it's still on TV just at a later hour. 
I think it's apt. It is really wholesome, actually, when it is sexy and, you know, that's what happens when you put hot people in something. It's just, oops, sexy. Um, And there's not too much that is quote unquote lewd. Um, But some of the things in question where there's a crotch grab, which, you know, I don't quite understand why, like, you know, the VMAs can happen, but then we can't show. Well, I guess the VMAs are on cable television where you have to like pay for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But also, uh, there were only maybe three moments that were flagged. So I don't know. It's not like the entire thing is racy, racy, but it definitely will make you a little sweaty at some points, which is fun. I sure hope so. Wait, what were the other moments? There was a crotch grab and a dance. I mean, do we want to give them all away? <laughs> Also, I can't remember. I think it's fascinating. (laughs) Do we want to give away what we can't remember? (laughs) That moment when Lloyd was holding on to the tree and making direct eye contact with the camera that I was standing behind was like, (laughs) oh, that was yeah, that's that's hot, but I don't think that was the that didn't make one of the flags, yeah. No, but I, you know, someday perhaps we can make like a three-hour director's cut where we just like have five minutes of Lloyd <laughs> gazing longingly into the camera and an advancing on us in a bikini. Um, yes. Yeah. Sorry for objectifying you, Lloyd. <laughs> but you. you're gorgeous. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask... Um, I wanted to ask you some questions about the production and about how this all came together. I mean, the the weird thing about this interview is I already know all the answers, um, but I want to hear in <laughs> your words. Let's start with Kylie. Tell me exactly how this production, uh, you know, what's what was it? Its beginning. Yeah, well, the beginning is with you. So this is kind of funny to <laughs> tell a story that's uh, very rooted in your existence and your story as well. But um, essentially, you came to us with this film project back in June, I want to say, or maybe even before then, and said, hey, I have this idea and I have a little bit of funding. Would you, are you interested? Um, and then we started talking about, you know, what the creative vision was like, what the visuals would be like. And then I went back to Megan, who uh, Megan and I co own a production company called In Common Films. And it's just us making stuff happen. And so we talked through it and we loved the vision. We love working with you. And so it was an easy yes. So. That was how it started. <laughs> Can you tell me about the uh, the how did you form in common? What were some of your first projects and stuff? Uh, so Kylie and I met uh, back in 2016 in Oregon when we both worked at a different production company. We shook hands and then immediately tried to figure out why it felt like we already knew each other, which we still can't figure out why that's the case. We've like cross referenced all the birthday parties and sporting events we attended as kids and just can't find it. Minus one Fourth of July fireworks show in Beaverton, Oregon, when we were like seven <laughs> or something. But I don't know if we ever actually met there. Needless to say, Kylie moved to New York, and then uh, I started some work with a fragrance brand based in the city. 
came out to do that. Uh, Kylie joined production one time. And then every time I came back out, I just kept on bringing her on. And every production, she just kept on mm. becoming more and more indispensable to the project. So we got one larger gig where I was DP and director and she was producer. And by the end of that, it was like wildly apparent that she was also co-director. So that's when we decided to take the leap and start in common films because we're trying to figure out what we have in common. (laughs) (laughs) That's so amazing. So yes, that is how, you know, we came together in a way, but I want to go a little bit further back. And um, my former publicist introduced me to y'all and uh, there was interest in perhaps exploring a documentary about my injury and recovery process. And we got in touch and we were sort of like, okay, let's, let's give this a go. And, and y'all actually filmed me at, um, at the hospital for special surgery with my surgeon and, um, and his team, as well as with my physical therapist and, you know, at the gym, all these different things at my house. And then when time came for me to take my first ballet class and go into ABT and capture that sort of momentous occasion, we weren't granted permission for y'all to come into ABT. So it was, you know, COVID was sort of still a thing and it was used as the red tape uh, to sort of squash this documentary, which I think would have been really amazing and inspired a lot of people. And I'm still incredibly butthurt that we weren't given permission to continue filming. Um, so that actually was the first thing that we perhaps were going to work on together. And we, had, you know, we got some really great stuff. Uh, we have like, you know, a quarter of a documentary that no one's probably ever going to see, but maybe you will someday. Um, but I loved them so much. I thought they were so artistic, so on top of it, so just correct uh, that when I was selected for this all arts artist in residence program, um, I called them immediately and I said, okay, I have a meager budget and an idea. Please work with me. And, <laughs> and they acquiesced. So Megan, can you define a DP for me? Oof. Uh, I think it can look like a lot of different things uh, with like the spectrum of filmmaking mediums today. But generally speaking, they're the person in communication with the director who is helping craft the visual language of the story and are generally in communication with a lot of other departments on set, which can look like individuals or whole teams of people. And Megan's a badass at it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kylie and I co-directed um, the film, which is called Day Tripper. I should probably specify. I'll put that in the intro. Um, and uh, Megan is the director of photography. And so for me, what I, you know, I've never had a budget before and I've made a lot of things, honestly, a lot of very like bootstrappy music videos and dance films, like short form stuff. And so this is the first 30 minute endeavor I've been on. And so um, a DP to me is like, it's almost like the visual choreographer, like the aesthetic choreographer. And um, so much of, of what you're seeing actually ends up um, really being the essence of that person. And um, yeah, I just 
I'm a big Megan stan. And those of you who hopefully will watch the film will agree with me and gag. <laughs> I'm going to start using that visual choreographer. I love that. Um, yeah. One yeah, other fun thing. You're about the mood the board creator. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, but one other fun thing about this project, partially due to like budgetary limitations, but also we were like, totally stoked for this to manifest the way that it did. But the outdoor portion of the film was DP'd by me. And then the indoor uh, black box theater portion, which is like half, if not like 40% of the film was DP'd by Matthew Hayes, local to New York, sadly moved from Portland a year ago. Everybody's still mourning the loss. Wonderfully moved. Wonderfully moved. Wonderfully moved. (laughs) Matt is fabulous. And okay, so a black... Yeah, which it was super cool to... Yeah. Uh, um, just for the listeners out there, a black box theater is, um, it's like a, an adaptable space where you can set up lighting and curtains and wings and everything in a backstage area. And uh, usually there's like removable seating or like pullout seating. And it's a studio space that can transform into a makeshift theater. And it's called a black box because most everything in it is theater black, you know, matte black curtains and wings and things. So um, I wanted, obviously, to have a lot of dance in this dance film. So uh, I decided to try and like have a, a sort of world within their their emotional states where it was like these fun dances and these little vignettes that were happening. And that is what we did. And it came out great. And and Matthew Hayes uh, DP'd the black box portion of the film. So uh, logistically, this film was pretty, uh, it was a lot. (laughs) And I would like (laughs) to ask both of you, let's start with Kylie. What do you think one of the most logistically difficult parts of of the film was, were? Uh. Your your schedule. <laughs> um, I think okay, that tracks. <laughs> well, I guess getting all of the talents schedules and your schedule aligned was a nightmare because it kept it, like there was nothing in the immediate future that was working, and so it kept getting pushed out and getting pushed out. And we're like, okay, well, is this? Are we going to have enough time to do pre-production? Well, yes, because it kept getting pushed out. But production and then also post-production. So I think that was the most challenging was just getting everyone in the same place at the same time, which is rather important when you need to film people. It was difficult also to get people to rehearse. <laughs> so we had very limited time and there were five or six dances. And so, you know, I had to choreograph the dances and then teach it to Jake and Lloyd who were starring in the film. And, um, it was just so hard to get our schedules to align because we all dance in different companies. And per our union contracts, we don't get our schedules until like basically a day and a half before hmm. the the day. So like, you know, I get my Thursday schedule at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday. And just like logistically, that's a freaking nightmare. So, you know, that was a lot. Um, Megan, what what about you? What do you think? Ooh, um, I think just like the limitations of filming on Fire Island, like that was kind of wild using little sand carts and like literally just walking miles every day with like camera gear, you know, or like that moment when the waves because of the storms, there's like 
these massive waves crashing. We have like two feet of sand, but we've got to get the scene on the, on the edge of the beach, which I'm really glad that we did that for the record. In the moment, it was like a little scary, but we got it done. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. for context, it was a typhoon that had worked its way up the coast that of course landed on, at, at Fire Island the morning that we needed to film this or the, the evening that we needed to, I can't remember what it was, but I think it was morning that we needed to film this one beach shot. And it was like, of course. We were like tracking the tides too. We're like, all right, low tide is at this time. Let's go. And then it was like, this is not low tide. Mm-mm, but mm-mm. So Fire Island is a sandbar in the middle of the Atlantic, essentially, like off Long Island. And, you know, if there are bad storms, the the water rises basically to the houses. So the beach disappears completely. And we, you know, the opening scene in this film is of Jim uh, going to the beach with a book and he sits down and he's like admiring the beautiful sunrise. But we, we have all that, all this gear, all these people, this crew, and we're, we walk down the boardwalk to the beach. We get there and the water is lapping up against the boardwalk. And we're like, shit, what do we do? What do we do? And so, you know, it's, we had to basically walk all the gear about 20 minutes further. Um, what was that? East. And, um, and find a beach. And eventually the, the beach showed up in a way like there was like 15, 20 feet of sand that we like, you know, mucked onto and got it done, but it was harrowing. It was like our first thing too. As it goes, there's always something. What about you? Besides that moment, what was your most challenging moment? I feel like I, I mean, you know, I've never had, a big crew to manage before. And so um, there's something that I call like spending personality points. And as a dancer, as a performer, and whatever you end up doing, it could even be something like going to a gala after a performance. You sit down at the table, there are donors all around, um, or like, you know, prospective donors. And you have to spend personality points and you might not be super willing to engage at all times and so directing a little bit is like spending your personality points at like 300% at all times and not only are you like giving yourself so hard to people and trying to get them comfortable get them to do what you want manipulate the shit out of them pardon my french um but you're also like you have to manage your own emotions, like your own reactions to things and your own desires in that, that moment. And I feel like the fire Island shoot was two days long and it was like, you know, dawn to dusk basically of like high octane, get it, get it, get it, go, go, go. And, uh, that was illuminating, exhausting, and also incredibly fun. Mm -hmm. It was, It was so cool to see you in that environment. I mean, obviously not having worked in that capacity together before, but I feel like so much of someone's like true colors come out in that time. Like even if you're having to kind of put it on, you know, it's like such a polarizing experience. I feel like I either like love people or like can't stand people in production contexts and they might be like my dearest (laughs) friends outside of that. So I feel like you 
yeah, you were so like patient and collaborative and gentle with like everybody involved, which was super cool to see. Not to like gas you up too much. But. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead, Kylie. Uh, I want to, so watching you direct was very natural and I know you've done music videos in the past and, you know, you've been in, in and out of film and I'm wondering if you saw any similarities between other creative work that you've done and also directing film, because it looked like you had done it before. If I had no, if I didn't know you, I'm like, Oh yeah, you've done this at least 10 times. (laughs) I mean, I feel, I feel pretty comfortable asking people to do what I want them to do because, you know, I've been making dances and, you know, teaching and I've been in this sort of creative world for so long. And I, I'm pretty decisive. I know what I want. And, um, I don't know. It's actually quite similar to choreographing a ballet or choreographing whatever, a commercial, a music video. And, you know, a film is highly choreographed, even if it's not dance. Uh, so I don't know. It just felt like pretty comfortable. Um, I'd say the most stressful thing was, was being really afraid I was going to piss somebody off, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't. So (laughs) not that we're aware of. It's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. It was also like having worked with Kylie a ton in this context, it was so cool to see the way that your like energies worked off of each other. Cause I think like when Kylie and I co-direct, I'll kind of assume more of what you did on set, like maybe being like, not like a loud person, but just like the louder one of the two of us. And then Kylie's like thinking through story and logistics and is often like producing while co-directing, but you were just like, so like you're so good at being in that space. Like I think neither Kylie nor I love like being at the front of something. And you were just like such a like benevolent God, you know, in that way. (laughs) Like you just really like the way that you two would like confer silently. And then you would just start kind of like yelling, you know, what, what needed to happen next. It was, yeah, it was really cool to, to watch that. Yeah. No, Kylie was so good about being, being the bird on my shoulder. So like say someone did something completely insane looking like on camera and you know i didn't pick up i can't pick up on everything so if kylie saw something that i didn't see she'd be like oh my gosh jake just like had a booger or something and i'd be like jake <laughs> get that booger you know like and there were so many moments that were so valuable in that regard like she would just silently come over and be like pss, 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 pss. and then, then i would i would hopefully give people a direction to fix the note and uh that was really amazing for me and that was the same for the black box stuff because, you know, yeah, it's dance, but I don't see everything from a filmmaking perspective. That's not my world. Um, and so there were so many, so many times when I was like, I'm a fish out of water here. And then Kylie would swoop in and, and save the day. So very grateful for that. <laughs> well, one thing I did notice actually is that you love to be in the moment. You love to be with the actors and with them like looking at them as they perform. And then I'm like, I'm coming from an editor brain because that's where I started with filmmaking is if I can see it on the screen, I have a better context for what it's going to look like. So that's my, 
default is to look at the screen. Whereas you just, you can tell that you wanted to be with them. You're like, okay, that didn't try it this way or whatever wave is going on. But um, yeah, like you like to be with the people and then I like to be with the screen. So it was a beautiful mix. Yeah, it, it took me some getting used to, like I had to train myself to look at the monitor because, you know, when I'm making a dance, I watch the people, there are no screens. Um, I might film it on my phone and then take a look at it or something. But, you know, having having to look at people that are in the room with me through a screen was wildly uncomfortable for me because like energetically I want to be with them in the room but I totally see like what you mean and it was so important for me to see the framing to see the light like to really get into the screen and see what you know the final product is going to be um speaking of final product there was so much that went into uh the post-production process and um Megan, you had quite a task. My, uh, Megan did the color, the color correction on the film, as well as being the DP for the Fire Island portion. Uh, tell me what color correction is, first of all. Yeah, so generally, um, most things that you'd watch, well, not everything, a lot of things you'd watch on the internet and most anything that you'd see in a big screen, uh, the footage when it comes out of the camera is usually some form of log which just means that it's like the full dynamic range present uh, in the data that you have. And then you're essentially coloring it in from there. So there's just a lot more like flexibility than something you would just film with your, your iPhone. Uh, but because of that, there's just like endless possibilities. And then also the task of trying to kind of match things like exposure in different uh, degrees of like cloud cover, take to take and making sure skin tones are singing and, trying to match like black box to what we filmed outside on fire Island and make it feel like it's part of the same universe. So it's like a, it's super satisfying and you really like get into the the nitty gritty during that process. Yeah. What was the most difficult scene to color? Oh, geez. What was the most difficult scene to color? It was the meat rack. <laughs> oh, the meat rack. I was going to yeah, say, you know what? Because during that scene, we're in this like super dense treed space. The scene right before that was like not, it, there was no cover. It was just clouds, but it was overcast. But then we go into this treed space. Suddenly the sun is blasting through the leaves. So continuity feels a little funky. And then take to take, there's like clouds. There aren't clouds. There was like zero control. Uh, yeah, it was there wild. There was so much dynamic weather that weekend. Like, it would oh be gosh. super cloudy and like almost misty. And then all of a sudden it would be a blazing sun. And it was like early September. So, you know, the, the weather can be spotty at that time. But yeah, the meat rack for my listeners, the meat rack in Fire Island is the legendary cruising grounds of Fire Island. It's located between Fire Island Pines and Cherry Grove. Cherry Grove is a predominantly lesbian community, whereas the Pines is mostly cis gay men. Um, and, you know, we're, I'm a, I'm a homeowner out on the Pines and uh, I am a member of the, the like homeowners association. And there's, you know, all these good talks about um, inclusivity and all that, all that business. But I don't want to get into that right now. We're going to move back to the meat rack where people have sex. So, the meat rack <laughs> is a cruising ground and you can go to the meat rack at any time of day, like or night really, and um, find someone to hook, hook up with, you know, like there are little groves and beautiful, it's like 
the most naturey, gorgeous place, but also incredibly sexually liberated. It's fascinating. Also surrounded by poison oak, but also <laughs> mosquitoes. Also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's beautiful and dangerous. <laughs> yes. Um, so true. I want to talk about um, your favorite parts of the film to watch. Mm. Kylie, what's your mm. favorite part? I So our editor, Julia Block, she did such a fantastic job, I think, capturing the energy of the volleyball scene. I watched, I remember I watched that for the first time. Um, and I don't think I cried necessarily, but like, a single tear was on the <laughs> in my eye. So I was like, she got it. Like that is exactly what at least I had been envisioning for that scene. And it's just so fun and flirty and dynamic. And it's funny because that was one of the most maybe Ill, not ill prepared, but there was a lot of I would consider documentary style filming where we weren't necessarily like, okay, yeah. now hit the volleyball action. It was just kind of like Megan rolling and picking off these beautiful moments, and then um, you know you would step in James and ask for them to you know kind of do this thing again. But then it all came down to Julia and the edit to really find the parts that sang and told the part of the story that we needed. So that was my favorite. The uh, like beautiful moments that Kylie's talking about was really just James being like film his abs, like go to the abs, get the volleyball. Like it was just such a like 80s, like kind of like soft, not soft porn kind of, just like very like sweaty, like high sun. It was awesome. But I was like, oh God, should I? Okay, sure, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so in the Pines, there are multiple beach volleyball courts with nets and everything. And there's this one that's like, it's called the social net. And everyone gathers there almost every day in the summertime, in the afternoon, to play volleyball and swim and socialize. And it's just like incredibly beautiful people playing volleyball pretty badly, but having the best time. So um, I basically was just like, get that hot person. Get that, you know, Speedo. Um, Lloyd's going to serve the ball. Go get him. You know, like it was pretty manic and so much fun. And the, all the guys are regulars uh, who play. So it's like... I there's a volleyball text thread and I was like, you know, get your girls together. We're going to film this today. We've got releases for you and wear your cutest, like most vintage looking swimsuit, basically. And it worked. <laughs> it worked. Megan, what was your favorite scene? Honestly, filming with Jim was like such a pleasure. Um, and I think we were with him during these like early morning moments and then these evening moments. He was just like such a sweetheart. And I think just the there was that one morning when we came out to film the sunrise shot and like the clouds were just doing like the most lovely thing possible. Um, that was, that was just really satisfying and like somewhat meditative. It wasn't the morning when we were running away from the waves. It was like a different, a different time. Um, and I think truly, I mean, and I know that I wasn't filming at the black box, but I was actually able to be present for that, which was super cool just to like watch Matthew do his thing. But it, man, just watching um, Jake and Lloyd like do what they do best. And like, they're both phenomenal actors, which like, I didn't know exactly what to expect when they were on set, but then watching them dance, I was like, oh my God, like they're just, it's insane to watch what they can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're pretty damn good. Um, so uh, one of my favorite, most chaotic moments was the uh, the necklace. Okay, so... Um, I wear this gold necklace that has a little raw diamond on it. Um, and it's 
featured heavily in the film as an indicator that the older gentleman that we're seeing um, when there's like a flashback scene and then a younger gentleman is wearing the same necklace. And so Jim is the older gentleman and Jake plays his younger self. And we were filming with Jake and he had the necklace on for the whole day. And then we got up at the butt crack of dawn. It was like 5 a.m. and we were trying to catch Jim at the sunrise. And we realized that Jake was still wearing the necklace. And so we were calling Jake, texting him, get up, get up. Where are you? What's going on? We need this necklace. And um, my friend Jalen, who was uh, being the uh, you know production assistant for the, for the whole Fire Island and Black Box, um, he ran all the way down the beach to, um, <laughs> to where Jake was staying and was like pounding on the door. He's like, Jake, we need the necklace. And then he ran back just as the sun was like coming over the water. And we, we like popped the necklace on Jim and we got the shot with like a beautiful sunrise. And it was just incredibly chaotic and kind of embarrassing now that I'm telling about telling you all. That's indie filmmaking. You know, your props master, your director, your producer, your wardrobe makeup, things happen. <laughs> I want to talk about, speaking of like things happening, let's talk about some Easter eggs. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a few of those. <laughs> Kylie, can you define an Easter egg for, for the listeners? Yeah. So an Easter egg, I don't know if it's actually a technical term, but so an Easter egg is a little hint or a fun nod that if you know, you know. So for example, the necklace being James's, personal jewelry is an Easter egg for those who know, you know, um, gosh, now that you ask, I can't even remember. Cause we were talking through Easter eggs that were intentional and not accidents, which <laughs> the line can be blurred sometimes. But I know in the first scene, when Jim is picking up a book or the mature man is picking up a book, your book, James is actually in the stack. Not that I think he would be able it to is. tell because the cover is faced away, but it is in there. Yeah, you can see the yellow of the jacket. And um, there you go. You know, that's kind of fun for me. Speaking of yellow, uh, another silly Easter egg that's not really an Easter egg is in the pool party scene, there's a very beefy, hot guy in yellow board shorts, and he is straight. Plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Um, Wild. Also, a fun one is uh, in the scene in which. Jim is arriving to the beach um, or is it the I think it's actually the end of the film the sunset um, his house is actually in the background you can see Jim's house in the background which is really cute um, what else is there oh so, uh, some mistakes now these are fun so don't judge us but um, in one of the black box dance sequences we forgot to take Jake's earrings out and he has a couple pierced you know, little studs in his ear. And then I was like, oh my God, your earrings. And of course it's like close-up shots too. Yeah. I actually haven't really noticed when watching or editing. So, you know, whatever. I didn't Great, even don't look too that, close. So. Don't look too close. Don't look too close, <laughs> folks. Don't find the Starbucks cup in the Game of Thrones episode, okay? <laughs> isn't uh isn't your person in a couple of the shots too, James? Oh, yes, that's an Easter egg. So my boyfriend, Augie, whom I met in Fire Island 
at Beach Volleyball. <laughs> meta, meta, meta. Um, is that meta? I don't know. I don't think I'm such a millennial. I don't think I understand the definition of meta. Oops. But uh, yes, my boyfriend, I mean, like all of my friends are in the film because, you know, no money. Um, and also it's fun. <laughs> but Augie uh, plays, um, he's an extra in the pool party scene. He is one of the cruising extras in the meat rack. He's a, a gentleman sort of leaning against a tree waiting for someone to engage him, if you will. Um, my friends Jalen and Nate are the other guys in the meat rack scene where they're like making out and they look at uh, Jake as he's walking through the meat rack. It's really silly. Um, yeah, it's like all my friends and, and I'm so happy Augie's in it. He, he serves the ball in the volleyball scene. It's cute. This is something I feel like we should have talked about when you asked about the most challenging part of making the film, but I feel like we need to talk about American Horror Story. No? Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the weekend that we were filming out on the island, it was, there were, I think, four productions happening on Fire Island that weekend. Yeah. There was American Horror Story, which was like Bananas. just so much Hollywood money, insane. Like each episode, I think, cost $2 million. Um, was that the number? <laughs> which is just, yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh. Which is just like so unrelatable. Like, wow. No, but I remember we were told that there were no motorized vehicles on the island bigger than a golf cart. And we're like, okay, so we're just going to gear schlep. It's fine. We'll have a small gear package. We know what we're getting into. We get to the island and there are semi trucks parked on this. I don't even know how they got them on the island. Well, actually I do. They took them on the ferry, but just these massive, they had a crafty truck. And then we're like, here's our sand cart. (laughs) With a bag of snacks. So, yeah. The sand cart we got on Amazon, you know? She did great. We just kept on passing by, like, these massive containers of, like, empty Tito's everywhere, too. I was like, what the hell is going on? Crew was having a raging time Well, that's Fire Island. (laughs) Yeah, there was a... I think there were two documentary crews. um, And, you know... One of the guys I think helped us with like one of the scenes. He was what, who was that guy? What was going on there? Oh, he was a part of American Horror Story. He was the locations manager, and he just came over and helped us when we were on our chaotic beach scene and was taking care of talent. Honestly, we need someone like that. On, we needed someone like that on every scene. But that's who that was. I was like, yeah, he was so nice. Out. But I his energy was so much. I was like, take a breath, Queen. Wait, another Easter egg. He's in the film. <laughs> yes how random yeah okay yeah so he and Jalen are are the day trippers friends who are like you know where have you been or whatever they're like blurry and in the background waving it in like come here come here um but yes that's so funny oh my goodness okay um so this episode is actually going to be split in two parts um and then Isabella Boylston, my friend, is going to interview me about the film as the second half. So, um, at the risk of having this be way too long, I think we should wrap this up. But my final question to the two of you is, what is your dream for this film? Like, what sort of life do you want it to have? I guess I'll go first. I think that sometimes the best things 
are said simply and they're not overcomplicated. And I think that's something that I really appreciate about this film is that the story, while it has Easter eggs and it's really fun and poppy, it's still a simple story at the end of the day. It's a simple love story. And I love that. We didn't overcomplicate it, but we poured our hearts into it. And so I hope that it brings joy and laughter and resonates with the right people. Well, everyone, obviously, but that's what I hope for it. Hell yeah. Megan, what about you? Yeah, I think building off of that, uh, we were just really like honored to be kind of taken along for the wild ride, James, because you were like the divisor of the story. You were the script writer, obviously co-director with Kylie. And I think like if in the least this is an enjoyable thing that we all made together and like blesses the number of people that have the chance to see it late night or otherwise. I think if this is in any way like a launching pad for you deeper into this medium, I'm so excited to see what you do next with this. So I think that's kind of my, that's what I'm manifesting from this project. Yeah. I'd like to, to continue on that. Not only do I want to work together with y'all again, but um, I loved making this so much. And it's so funny that you say like, sometimes a simple story is so correct. And I've seen a lot of ballets where there's an overcomplicated story that cannot really be told in a precise, you know, understandable way through movement. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to keep this real simple. I'm going to tell a gay love story, period. Um, and I feel like we really, we really got the mood across. It is really fun and I'm really proud of it and so grateful to the both of you for immense, painstaking, work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope all of you out there go to the All Arts website and watch it um, immediately. Please watch it on a big TV if you have one and pump the music as loud as your eardrums can handle because there are bangers in there. Absolute bangers. Kylie and Megan of In Common Films, where can my listeners follow you? Um, On Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry we don't have much of a social presence uh but we yeah we're on instagram under in common films and then megan and i both have our personal instagrams i'm really bad at this i can't even remember what my handle is but <laughs> you don't have you to do say it though. if you don't want great <laughs> yeah we're on instagram we have a website as well and that's pretty much it <laughs> Great. Well, until the next creation, I hope that uh, that we're you know all in it together. And thank you so much for helping me make Day Tripper come alive. Thank you. Thank you. It was a blast. Ballet Bird is a streaming site designed by former Pacific Northwest Ballet principal dancer Julie Tobiasen. Ballet Bird offers ballet classes for anyone at any level of training that you can do from the comfort of your home or studio. After many years performing as a professional ballerina and decades of teaching at all levels of ballet, Julie is excited to offer her training for more people like you. Classes are designed for large and small spaces and for all levels. The low monthly membership fee is less than one in-person class and is accessible 24-7 with new classes added every month. Ballet Bird is a great addition to your regular in-studio training as well. Take advantage of the 10-day free trial and use the discount code COD25 to get 25% off through June 30th, 2023 at BalletBird.com. 
Whether you are just starting your ballet journey today or you're a seasoned professional, Ballet Bird is the place for you. Visit BalletBird.com or click the link in the show notes. Dimensions Dance Theater of Miami is seeking dancers for their 2023-24 season. Join them for open auditions on April 23rd in Miami. All auditioning dancers must have professional experience as well as strong classical and contemporary technique. Male presenting dancers will be asked to demonstrate established partnering skills. Female presenting dancers will be asked to demonstrate proficient point work. Their 2023-24 season will include performances in Miami, Broward, Vero Beach, and additional touring. For more information, please visit dimensionsdancemia.com slash auditions or click the link in the show notes. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we are joined by principal dancer with American Ballet Theater, James Whiteside, to discuss his upcoming directorial debut film, Day Tripper. James catches us up to speed about his recovery from knee surgery, transforming his book Center Center into a play, and the creative concept and filming process for Day Tripper. You can stream Day Tripper as part of the All Arts Artist in Residence series this April 23rd at 10.55 p.m. on PBS, or stream the film on the All Arts app. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. (laughs) Hi, Rebecca. Hi. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you both as well. I feel like I haven't seen you, Rebecca, in 100 years. How, How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, girl, you know, I'm just hustling. I'm selling my wares. <laughs> well, I'm happy to see that you're at ABT Studio. So that means that yeah. you're, I've seen you on Instagram, you're healing up. Well, how did your knee journey go? Fill us in on that a little bit. Oh, it's ongoing. It's it's probably going to be for the rest of my life in a way, um, unless, you know, I lose my leg at some point. <laughs> um, it's it's good. It's going really well. It is a slow, arduous journey, and I am doing anything and everything I can to remain positive and uh, active and getting stronger every week. But I have some really hard ballets to dance. I'm doing Giselle. I'm doing Swan Lake. I'm doing Romeo and Juliet. These are doozies for the males. So I'm out here going to the gym, doing my conditioning, personal training, class, rehearsal, you name it, because um, my my knee doesn't work like it used to. It just doesn't work automatically. I have to to gain strength and, and just keep hustling. Right. So, I mean, pre- preparation for those ballets prior to this injury, it's not like you were just chilling, like taking a class and getting, you know, doing your rehearsals and going home. <laughs> so how much, how does that affect like how much extra stuff you have to do already? It's already a, a journey getting ready for those roles. Yeah. I mean, I've always already been doing the most, mm-hmm. the, I've always been the most extracurricular work. I work really hard, even though I'm a gay clown. Um, <laughs> and I think it's a different focus now. It It's like a real long game because I know I'm not going to feel amazing next month. I do just all next month and I'm going to feel okay. And right. it's about 
accepting where I'm at and knowing it's part of the journey and having that sort of extreme perseverance that, um, that you have to have as a ballet dancer already. And then you have to triple it when you have a, essentially a career ending injury like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder, um, have you dealt with not an injury like this before? Certainly. Right. Like nothing long-term. No, no, this is like, I mean, I've sprained an ankle here and there and I, you know, I've never had anything where I've required surgery. I had a hernia once and, and I had surgery on that like one nutcracker season, I missed a nutcracker season and then I came back in the spring and I was ready to go. Um, So this is really different. I wonder how it's changed your perspective on your career and what it means to be on stage. I know for a lot of dancers, when they're out, they miss it so much that coming back gives them like this different appreciation. So I wonder kind of like, as you're still going through this process, how has it changed your perspective? Well, it's difficult because I do really hard things so i'm not going out there and doing a kickball change double pirouette and a smile Mm -hmm. um i'm going out and doing like physically impossible things so i'm waiting to really enjoy it again um i'm grateful to be able to do what i can at the moment but i'm just not i don't feel amazing yet Mm -hmm. and that's part of the journey as well and i have to accept that but it's really hard to and some days it's incredibly frustrating Mm-hmm. but I do consistently feel better every month, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I'm sure that one thing that's really going to be a big um, boost for you in that journey is just the fact that you're going to be back on the Met stage for the first time in four years, right? 2019 was the last... Well, in a way. I did the opera, so I've okay. been doing a kickball change true. double pirouette for the right. opera. <laughs> and, um, and But this will be my first Met season with ABT since 2019. Right. Which is wild. Yes. Right. So I'm like, do I know how to dance? Question mark. The answer is yes, I do. I'm actually mm-hmm. pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even put that together. That is kind of a nice way to like ease back in. You just did Traviata, which I saw you in. It was so, you were so fabulous. It was, it was pure camp and just like a total romp yeah. and delight. Um, Thanks. But did Thanks. that help? Did that kind of help you to to feel like okay, we're fe- we're we're filling it out. You know, we're doing the the least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of like <laughs> what the demands are. You evil to, witch. So, uh, I mean, no, just like you didn't. You're not doing Albrecht's like thirty two pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was every opportunity for me to get on stage doing whatever right I can is beneficial to me. Um, you know, galas, guest performances, Traviata, the opera, whatever. If someone's going to ask me to do a show, it's wise that I do it right now because regaining that onstage confidence, which is honestly, it's not so much onstage confidence as like the belief that I can dance because when I'm on stage, I will sell you a bag of poop. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I can sell it. I understand show business at this Uh point. But it's about me feeling like a good dancer. And so every opportunity I have, I want to take. Yeah. Let's shift gears for a second. Um, last time we had you on the podcast, we were talking about your book, Center Center. And you were it was about to come out. Mm. You were a little bit nervous. You weren't sure what was going to happen. So fill us in. What has that been like releasing that baby out into the world? And, and what has the reception been like? My book is so crazy. <laughs> like, I... I'm so grateful to Penguin for letting me do whatever the hell I wanted. And 
you know, I was actually not as nervous as I think I should have been considering the subject matter and the content in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a slam piece book. It's not trying to, um, you know, kill ballet like a lot of books try to do. It's not an expose. It's literally like an incredibly chaotic, gay series of essays. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of having the sort of delusional self-confidence to put something out like that in, especially I'm in a field that is like, oops, heteronormative. Mm -hmm. And I just had the best time. And the the paperback came out um, a year after the, the hardback. And people love it. And it makes me feel so good. And people still bring my book to the stage door mm-hmm. and have me sign them after performances. And they say they loved it. That Everyone loves the story about my mom. And, and that makes me feel really good to sort of, you know, tell her story and what like the sort of effervescent light that she was. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, re- it resonates with people and it makes mm-hmm. me feel really good. Right. Mm-hmm. H- have you been writing at all since the publishing of the book? Uh, any. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> this is kind of exciting and it hasn't been announced yet, but whatever, I'm going to say it here. Um, I went to Florida to do a writer's retreat and I wrote uh, two versions of a play based on my book. And it was at the Hermitage Artist Retreat in Sarasota, I believe. I don't know. Florida's tough for me. Um, and I wrote two versions and, um, I was put in touch with a producer who used to work for Lincoln center. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the versions is essentially being produced and I'll, I'll have my first sort of preview workshop performances at the Aspen theater festival this summer. And I think it's the first week of September and it's called Aspen Theater Solo Flights. And it's a festival that specializes in one-person shows. And so I wrote a show that is, it's a funeral. And I am eulogizing my dance career. So it's sort of foretelling my experience about what it's going to feel like to have this huge part of my life essentially die. It's about death, letting go, and moving on. And remaining a whole person, even though something within you is gone. Well, when Michael and I see that, we're going to be crying. I can already tell that. <laughs> but I, yeah. mean, it's, I, I have a feeling it'll also be pretty darkly hysterical. That's also your brand, James. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's complete nonsense. Yeah. So it's irreverent and disrespectful and wonderful. And also at times, hopefully touching. But there are musical numbers. It's a cabaret show. Essentially, it takes place in an 80s funeral parlor. Um, you know, I have dreams of of transforming coffins and, and all sorts of fun things. There's a tap number. You name it. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. So when might this be? Let's see what else. I, when might be? Well, we the be dream is for it to go to off-Broadway. Uh-huh. Yeah, the dream is off-Broadway. But it has to be good. Otherwise, it'll die. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so what is the process? Good dances have to be good. What will the process be like of the creation? So you've already written it. And then what's the next part of the process? Yeah. So I have, um, I have a director and a composer and a producer already attached to the project. I'm going to not name names yet because mm-hmm. we haven't done contracts or anything yet, but um, I'm rehearsing with them and doing 
like the script is pretty much done and it will evolve of course because nothing is set in stone but yeah it's it's going to be a work in progress and even the first performances in aspen those will be those will be a work in progress as well yeah you know let's shift gears to yet another project you uh have been working on you just got it's all all the projects for james um so (laughs) this is going to be your your first film as far as i'm aware it's called day tripper and it's coming out on all arts which is a streaming platform dedicated to the arts and it was commissioned for their kate w cassidy artist in residence program can you tell us uh i guess just first how you became connected with all arts and like the early seed of this idea for the film yeah so uh i had never heard of this artist in residence program with all arts which i'm familiar with and uh the artistic director of all arts emailed me and said we think you'd be a great fit for this are you interested and i mean it was wild it was basically like here's funding to make a film you have carte blanche make whatever the hell you want and then you know we'll talk and i was like okay this and it was i was very much injured when i got this offer and I was like, I want to make things. I like making things. I have to stay busy. And I get very depressed if I'm not doing things. So I said, yes, thank you for thinking of me. I would like to do this. Um, and then I submitted an outline of what I was thinking about doing, which all I wanted to do was make a very simple gay love story mm-hmm. uh, with heavily featuring dance. And it's a silent film. So there's dialogue, but it's all subtitled. So there's no audible speaking. And it's just sort of like it, it's set in the pines and Fire Island. And it's very pretty. And, you know, I just wanted to make a pretty gay love story, which is something that I'm dying to be a part of as a dancer and just haven't really had the opportunity to be. So, yeah, that's the scoop. So right. once you got this opportunity, how did you then start to, you know, you develop the idea, then what were the next steps, finding the dancers, locations, that kind of bit? Well, I was well aware that I wouldn't be able to be in it myself because mm-hmm. of, you know, my injury. So I thought it might be best to have, you know, two friends essentially do it. And um, I hosted the Fire Island Dance Festival this past summer. And I saw a dancer in Givney Dance Company who is a, a young guy named Jake Tribus, and he's an incredibly talented young dancer. And I was like, okay, I want him to be in it. And then I have a, a very dear friend who's a principal dancer in Martha Graham Dance Company named Lloyd Knight. And I thought Lloyd and Jake would be fabulous together. And uh, as far as like direct, like the, my co-director and the director of photography and stuff like that, I had been contacted by a uh, a production company that wanted to do a documentary on my injury and recovery. And they had come and filmed things at my surgeon and uh, at my physical therapist and at my home and with my boyfriend and done all this footage. But mm-hmm. then ABT would not give them permission to come in the building because it was still COVID. So uh-huh. we had all this great footage of this, which would have frankly been a fabulous documentary um and we just got slammed by red tape at abt Mm -hmm. so they killed the project sadly and i'm still a little sore about that but i loved the team very much and so when i got uh this residency i thought i want to call 
in common films and see if they'll be willing to do this with me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is a, an arts project. Like it is public television. It is public arts. So I'm not making a bajillion dollars here. Frankly, I didn't make a cent on this, but um, I, I don't know. It was a labor of love and they were into it. And so I'm really grateful to them because they're an amazing production company and uh, they put me in touch with great talent and they were so organized and wonderful. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. You, obviously have a love for photography you have like a whole separate instagram featuring your photography but had you ever been behind the camera in um using film as a medium yeah so i feel like i've been sort of preparing for things like this for my adult life um when i was gosh what was my first music video God, I have a, a sort of pop music alter ego named JB Dubs, and I produce and write and perform my own music. And so in 2010, I did a music video with the, uh, there's a, a film director who works with Boston Ballet on their promotional materials. His name is Ernie Galan. And I asked him if he would help me make a music video for a song I wrote. And we we did that. We shot it in my friend Leah's apartment. And then we did another one and we used the basement studio at Boston Ballet. And it was myself, my friend Brad, and Lola. And it was a song I had written after seeing Dolly Parton's Nine to Five. And I just thought about workplace drama and all the hilarious things that happen in 80s workplaces. And I wrote a song called I Hate My Job. And we recorded the music video, which I choreographed. And, uh, you know, this was all, these are all my ideas, basically, that, that I'm asking people to help me execute. And that video, like, went early viral, if you will. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the first sort of YouTube viral hits. And uh, people still come up to me and say, like, I loved I Hate My Job so much, which is really <laughs> charming and silly. But yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things like that. I've produced a lot of dance films as well. Like, uh, and so while I haven't made a 30 minute film before, I have made plenty of other things that have prepared me and sort of given me an eye for what I want. Right. You've been working towards this moment. Uh, I had, I wanted to know a little bit more about, um, your casting process, and I guess the rehearsal process. So um, Jake, I love that you're using Jake. It's someone that I've only seen dance once, and it was kind of, I feel like, a similar experience to you. He just makes such a quick and strong impression. I was like, I need to see this dancer more immediately. Lloyd, we're very familiar with. We love Lloyd. Um, He's been on the podcast several times. But um, did you have to find a sense of if they would have like a personal chemistry? Did you spend time in the studio with them? Like how, how dance oriented is the, is the film? So the film takes place in the pines in fire Island. And it's a beautiful, if you've never seen the pines or been out there, it's an incredible uh, uh, community. There are no cars or anything. It's boardwalks everywhere. It's right on the ocean. It's essentially a little sandbar with a bunch of gays on it in the middle of the Atlantic. And um, so, you know, Casting wise, I I knew I wanted Lloyd because I adore his dancing and he's just so beautiful. I knew he would look incredible on camera. And then when I saw Jake in that 
performance at Fire Island Dance Festival, I was like, hey, I'm already in the pines and it's gay as hell. And I see this, you know, queer person on stage who's giving me like incredible talent and movement mm-hmm. quality while also being beautiful. It's like, it was a no brainer really. And so mm-hmm. I just, um, I don't even remember how I contacted him. It was probably just like a DM or something. And I was like, can I talk to you about doing a project? Um, yeah. And then they both were like, yeah, let's do it. And it was a lot of, uh, oh my God, trying to get their rehearsal schedules to align was damn near impossible. So I made everything in my living room. And like, I have hilarious videos on my iPhone of me choreographing in my tidy whities, you know, like <laughs> while I'm like injured. Uh-huh. Um, and trying to get like the Martha Graham and the Gibney schedules to align was really impossible. And so the film takes place in the pines yet there are these sort of uh, transition things that end up in a black box theater. So like uh, a, a heated moment will sort of whoosh into this liminal space, which is a black box theater with stage lighting and what have you. And they do um, dances. There are, I think like six dance numbers throughout the, the 30 minute piece. And the rest of it is like narrative acting stuff. Right. Um, with lines, which is all, you know, it's a silent film. Mm-hmm. It sounds really confusing, but I promise it works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see it. I, uh, can you tell us a bit about um, like the day-to-day filming process? Were they long days? How many yeah. takes were you doing of everything? That sort of thing. I'll start with the dance numbers. I'll start with the dance numbers. So we filmed the dance numbers over two days at uh, Manhattan Movement and Arts Center in their Black Box Theater. We had their lighting tech working with us. And um, those were really long, tiring days. And each dance, uh, you know, one dance is only like 40 seconds long. And then there are some that are seven minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So they all range in musical styles as well. Like there's a Prince number in there. There's a Diana Ross song. There's... um, there's afternoon of a fawn like it is all over the map and since it's public arts television i don't have to get sync licensing for or grand rights for these songs yes which is incredible because i would have to pay out the ass to use Mm -hmm. the prince song or a diana ross song (laughs) and we just don't have that kind of money right so i am so gagged that i get to use some of my favorite artists music in a dance film like this Mm -hmm. is not something that we are allowed to do and you put something like you put prints up on youtube and they take that shit down faster than you can say weasel i don't know (laughs) it's i don't know why weasel but um yeah so i i loved that Mm -hmm. um that was an aside there but yeah the filming for the dances was really hard and you know making them do everything over and over again while we get different angles we could only afford to rent one really fierce camera. So it wasn't like, you know, a Disney special where they have like 19, you know, a hundred thousand dollar cameras, like just mm-hmm. posted up around the, the filming. Right. This is one camera. We had to do the dances over and over and over again. And wow. it was really hard. And I respect the dancer's dedication and time and effort. And for the pines, we had, two filming days out in the pines, which we, which were packed from dawn to dusk. Mm-hmm. Like we had dawn sunrise beach stuff. We had sunset 
beautiful things going on here and there. I mean, out there, listeners, I just watch the damn film, please, because it's actually pretty good. (laughs) We really will definitely be watching and we know our listeners will too. But I also wonder, though you've done projects similar to this in the past, is there something from this experience that you'll take away and maybe use in other um, endeavors in the future? Yeah, absolutely. This was a an incredible learning experience for me. I had never played a director so wholly before. Mm. In other projects, I'm usually the one dancing in it. So I'm do I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, and I'll start the dance, you know, and someone will film it and well, that's great. And I'm I've always been heavily involved in editing because you wouldn't believe how many people don't understand that dance has to go on the music and editing. <laughs> um, so I learned so much about the logistical side of producing as well. Kylie Juggert is my co-director, co-producer, and talk about hot potato emails. Like we were constantly working out things, and she has been like absolutely unbelievable and just getting things done. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the um, film will be premiering on April 23rd on the free all arts app and on their website. And so we just really hope that all of our listeners will go and watch it. It sounds so wonderful. Will you also tell us when um, our audience can find you on stage coming up soon? Yeah, yeah I have, a, I have a little story. I'm going to just interrupt real quick. Um, so the film actually premieres at 10.55 p.m. on April 23rd. Okay. And uh, can you guess why it's it's showing so late? Why? Because <laughs> it needs to be shown in a time slot called Safe Harbor. And Safe Harbor is for programs that are perhaps too suggestive or racy or controversial. And so, uh, you know, I I don't think we made anything too sexy, but perhaps public TV does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now you make my interest even more. I'll be (laughs) 1055 on the dot. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, good times. All right. So I'm going to be back on stage next month in Nebraska, of all places. I'll be dancing Giselle with American Ballet Theater. And my Giselle will be Cassie Trenary. And then you can come see me in Swan Lake, Giselle and Romeo and Juliet this spring at the Metropolitan Opera House with ABT. And then after that, come see me at the Vail Dance Festival. I have no idea what I'm dancing yet. But uh, will you all be there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I missed Yay. it both so much last year. I mean, I I did okay, but I really needed you. You guys are my anchors. So, um, I mean, uh, we're really good at this, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be so excited to see you there for sure. Ah. Okay, thanks, thanks so much, James. And we hope all of our listeners um, go take a look at Date Fripper on April 23rd at 10.55 p.m. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be out on the uh, the app and on the website as well. So you will, you'll see it. Uh, thank you guys for always <laughs> supporting my work and um, just being wonderful art supporters. So much love to y'all. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Bye, Queens. 
Conversations on Dance is a part of the Acast Creator Network. For more information, visit Conversations on Dance Pod, pod.com. Don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can follow me on all social platforms by searching James Whiteside. My book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir, is available everywhere in all formats. Front Row uses music from the song A-Flat by Black Violin. Check out the show notes on jamesbwhiteside.com for exclusive video and audio from this podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.